0: Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are in Luke chapter 9. What we see here is that the disciples have now entered another stage of their ministry with Jesus. Whereas so far, they've been largely following Jesus and watching him perform ministry. Now he's going to ask them to go out two by two and do ministry. And, you know, Jesus is ministry training program was, you know, quite intense. I mean, the things that, that they did following Jesus for, you know, three years, obviously they're not three years into it now, but basically living with him, traveling the country with him, seeing everything he did and how he interacted with people. And now they're taking his lessons and they're going to do it themselves and come back and report to Jesus all that they've done. Uh, it, 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 it worked. I mean, the disciples ended up, you know, living for Jesus all the way to their death, which is quite an amazing thing. I've studied discipleship from Jesus's perspective um, for a good portion of my life. He followed a first century rabbinic model of discipleship. You might recall that John the Baptist had disciples, and then John the Baptist pointed uh, them to follow Jesus, you know, so it was not that what jesus did was entirely new because that's what rabbis did in his era um but nonetheless it was a intense approach now today we don't see discipleship done very often like that and i would say that there are lessons from jesus that we really need to take i also though in reflecting now many years later after studying this years ago, is that I think things are definitely different. Um, Meaning this, Jesus is not walking the earth physically today. So we can't follow him the way that they followed him. And if he was here, it, it probably would require that we, if we wanted to be his apostles, that we would follow him in that way because he was physically here. But there was, Jesus said that it would be good that he would go away. And one of the good things about him going away is that he said then he'd send his Holy Spirit to be in all of us. So instead of us physically following Jesus for a very short term, I mean, intensive three years, but still in the lifespan of, you know, us, if we live a normal life, three years is not a ton of time. And, you know, they had to follow him strictly and physically in those three years. Well, now he's in us through spirit, those who believe in him and also We have the word of God that they didn't have, and we also have the church. So there's a lot of things that are different. There was no church in Jesus' day. There was no New Testament word yet written, and the Holy Spirit wasn't in all who believed. So if you wanted to be with Jesus in that day, you literally had to be with him. Whereas now, if you believe in him, he's with you always to the very end of the age. So discipleship is definitely going to take on a little bit of a different... um, Context today, because there's a lot of differences between then and now. Yet, there are things that we can learn from Jesus about training people to follow him, and that we should learn from him. I'm actually studying this again to a great degree, and going to write about <clears throat> discipleship in the church age, in in this year. And uh, anyways, let's get into it now, and you'll see some of the things I'm talking about come to light. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Now, very interesting, a number of things already. So he's giving them power over all the demons and to heal diseases. This brings up many questions. Um, One, it does appear that in Jesus's day, it was a common belief that Many were demon possessed, and that that was the solution for a lot of people's problems was demon possession. Um, You know, it's hard to discern what exactly we're supposed to take to that. Uh, You know, Barclay, who he's one of, uh, he's a guy who's wrote a commentary on the Bible. He says that that was a common belief in Judaism, and that they probably overthought that, like they they interpreted or thought everyone's problem was demonic. And probably today we have the reverse problem is that when people have problems, we don't think it could be demonic. Like that's just not the cultural way of thinking today, but is it possible? And and this is a question that I don't know that we're going to be able to answer, but that they thought more so that maybe too much, too often that the problem was demonic. It's possible, but I I don't know. And then their thing they say is uh, to heal diseases. And now, you know, at our church, uh, I call myself a, a cautious continuationist, meaning that I believe God can still do today anything that he did in the past. And, uh, but I'm cautious about it, meaning I'm not trying to, at every whim, just try to proclaim some Holy Spirit gift or prophetic word or healing or, you know, demonic release as though it's happening every minute all the time, I think we can definitely overplay our hand. And it says in the Bible that we're supposed to test the prophets and test prophecies. And, and sometimes many times, in fact, you're going to find them to be false. So we have to be very cautious when we're dealing with the area of spiritual gifts, but the Bible also says that you're supposed to eagerly desire them. So, I think it's wrong to say God can't move in ways that he moved in the new Testament here that he can't move today because who are we to say what God can and can't do. But yet I think we should have wisdom and be cautious about it, but yet believe God can still do things. I do think that in the apostolic age, which this is the apostolic age. I mean, Jesus is on the earth right now doing miracles and giving them power And then even in the life of the apostles, I think we see the frequency of miracles in their lives beyond the frequency that most of us are going to exhibit. Meaning that through their proximity to Jesus and through the power that Jesus gave them, there was a special unction of the Holy Spirit that is a little bit different today. Now, am I trying to say then that means that all these things have ceased? No, and this is where there's like a big gray area. There's a mystery, right? Uh, I don't know exactly how to tell you what that means, meaning um, I still think God's power exists today. I just don't think that we're one of his apostles. You know, we're not a modern-day apostle, so they're going to have abilities greater than ours because of what Jesus wanted to give them, but that doesn't mean that it still can't happen today. Now, Uh, If you understood that, great, because I don't even know if I did. I say that laughing because I, I do understand what I'm saying, and I hope you do too. But, you know, sometimes we want really neat lines. We want black and white lines, and this is what it is, and this is what it isn't. And, you know, a lot of times when you're interpreting Scripture, that's just not the case. So, anyways, he sends them out with power to do many things. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, And do not even have two tunics apiece. Now, I think why he did that. He sent them out with without provisions. And if you've ever done witnessing, and it's like I want to do more, you know, but I've done a fair amount of of evangelism and witnessing out in the community in my life. And let's say you were to go on a trip to do it. If you had, you know, your credit card. All your belongings and all the money that you needed, you you could really take it easy, and you could just go out to a restaurant, go to your hotel, and you know you wouldn't be forced to be in the midst of people. You could just kind of do it when you want, and we like it that way, by the way. But we you know we could just do witnessing when we want to, and then when we're done, we go home and we go eat and we go do what we want. Well, what Jesus was doing was taking away their provisions so that they would have to be with the people all the time, so that they could not rely on themselves for food and shelter, which would force them to interact with the people and not give them an easy way to just distance themselves from the ministry that they had before then. I think it was quite a wise task or way of putting them to the task. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So when people would show loyalty and goodness to you, you know, show loyalty and goodness back to them is what he's saying. And as far as those who reject you, now it's interesting, right? He's already setting them up for rejection. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to witness is like, they don't like it when someone rejects them. Well, Jesus is preparing these guys right away that they're going to be rejected. And he says, shake the dust off your feet, like literally don't sweat it, like move on and find someone else that you can talk to because that's the nature of uh, ministry. That's the nature of evangelism. It's the nature of sales, right? If if you were in sales and someone said no to you and you're cut so deep that you would never ask for another sale, you couldn't be a salesperson. And and, and many aren't evangelists, or even if you're not gifted in it, many are so afraid of rejection. And even though it's not really rejecting us, it's just someone's not interested in the gospel. You know, we just need to move on because the next person might be the one who really needed what you had to hear. So shaking the dust off your feet is really important. It, so you don't, you know, stay in the mire of you know, oh, that didn't go well. Oh, this is hard. You know what I mean? And we got to just like, not even think about it. Just be like, whatever, next, and move on to the next person uh, and watch God use you to bear fruit. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And it's awesome that they are now going out and doing this on their own. They don't have Jesus with them. And boy, I tell you what, sometimes in order to learn how to do something, you just got to go do it, right? And, And you know, that's, that's just how you learn is you you, you just get after it and, and try and you learn as you go. And now they've learned from following him, but now they're learning through experience and they're learning quickly now. <clears throat> now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again Herod said I myself had John beheaded but who is this man about whom I heard, hear such things and he kept trying to see him so you know Herod because of the rebuke of John the Baptist about him marrying his brother's wife took John into prison John the Baptist and had him beheaded and now he's hearing miraculous things about Jesus and he he's curious as to who this is and rumors are going out and Apparently he wants to hear him for himself. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that he had done. So now they're reporting. They're coming back and reporting to Jesus, taking them with him. He withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. That's interesting. You know, he he now, after the public ministry, he goes and spends time with them in private. The amount of time that they had with Jesus was quite an amazing thing. It would have been, you know, so much we don't have, like their recorded conversations around the fire pit or eating a meal. Just the proximity they had to Jesus, what a blessing. And, you know, you can see why when they were that intimate with him and saw what he could do, that none of them ever denied him, that they all lived with him to the end. I mean, Judas actually, I guess, is one, but it looks like God allowed the devil to come into him. But the rest of them, it very much appears they were all martyred and they all maintained their testimony of Jesus Christ. But the crowds were aware of this, where Jesus went with his guys, and following him and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. More miracle working from our Lord and Savior, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. We talked about that recently on this podcast. Now the day was ending and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat for here we are in a desolate place. So they're out, you know, out in the fields, out on the hills somewhere. And there's nothing nearby to eat. And all these people are thronging around Jesus. And the disciples are like, hey, this is a problem. I mean, they can't just stay out here because how are they going to eat and drink? But he said to them, you give them something to eat, Jesus said. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces, which they had left over, were picked up 12 baskets full. I mean, the amount of bread that through God, Jesus produced through his prayer, the multiplication was enormous. I mean, an incredible miracle. And he is the bread of life. He He brought You know, it's kind of like God brought down manna in the desert, but in Jesus' day, he just multiplied bread. And man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hallelujah. And what another incredible miracle this is. Again, why do you think that apostles died maintaining their testimony about Jesus? Because they saw, saw him do so much. They just could not deny what they saw with their own eyes. Hallelujah. And it happened that while he was praying alone, he did this a lot. Praise God for that example. You know, and I don't know what your habit is. Um, I've been making it my habit before I, you know, do this podcast to spend time in prayer and ask the Lord for wisdom, repent of sin. uh, Ask the Lord for the help of his Holy Spirit. Pray, intercede for people in my life that need prayer, prayer for things in my own life. I have a method, maybe one day I'll, I'll share that on here, but I think it's good to incorporate into your study time, time with the Lord in prayer. So he said, who do the people say that I am after they came to him, after he was praying? They answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. So there's a lot of different, you know, theories about who Jesus is here. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Now, that's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, uh, Christ. And it, it can be translated anointed one. And you might recall, we've seen the passage in Luke a couple of times from uh, Isaiah 61. One, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was promised to come in the Old Testament. And Peter's proclaiming that that's who you are. And he's right. But he warned them, instructed them not to tell this to anyone. Again, saving his time to be able to die after three years and not sooner than that. And then he said, the son of man must suffer. He's going to predict this now. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And they're not wanting to hear this and not understanding it but he's beginning to to tell them he's going to die. He was saying, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now we'll hold off on that last verse, verse 27, for a moment. But if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, in order to be a follower of Jesus, we have to make our full devotion to Him and say, you know what? Ultimately, my number one priority is that I want to be a follower of God. I want to believe in Him. I want to trust in Him. I want to live in Him. I don't want there to be a shadow of a doubt that my life is about serving Jesus, that my devotion is to Him, and may that be evident of all of His followers. Hallelujah. and, you know, there's things that we change. I mean, sometimes friends will change uh, past sins that we partook in. We need to change our old life won't be the same anymore. Our our lives will look different. Um, we'll, we begin to live for treasures in heaven, which are people believing in Jesus instead of treasures on earth. Um, I also think, and I don't think this passage demonstrates it as well because I think that's for all of us, but we'll see another one in a moment where some people are going to come to him, and he's going to say, Hey, listen, you need to follow me right now. um you know you can bury your dead later, but you need to follow me right now and I think at times some of Jesus' radical statements about following him were extra radical in the day of Jesus because of the nature of his ministry. Now, it's kind of what I was referring to when I started this podcast, is that Jesus had a very short-term ministry. It, and it was it was to be in his physical presence, to make apostles, and it was going to last three years. And you either got on board to be with him physically or you you didn't. Uh, If you didn't, you couldn't be with him. It's not like you could go home and you would have the Holy Spirit presence of Jesus and the word of God with you to become a mature disciple. So at that time in history, when Jesus was walking the earth, you either followed him as an apostle or you didn't. Now, he didn't even ask everyone to follow him. You might remember he chose 12 and designated them apostles from a larger group. So my point is, is sometimes we can look at those passages where Jesus asked for their radical following, like literally you got to drop everything and follow me right now. The context is a little different. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it's not radical to follow Jesus today. I'm just saying that he was there physically for a very short term ministry. So they had to make a decision right then and there. Uh, And today it's a little bit different. We don't follow Jesus physically we follow him through his spirit and through the word. And most of us, Lord willing, are going to have ministries that are much longer than just, uh, you know, three years with Jesus. We, we we have the opportunity to have him with us for the for the rest of our lives. Uh, but if we would have approached Jesus in that day, and we wanted to be one of his followers, he would say something radical to us. Okay, well, remember, you know, I don't have a place to lay my head. So if you want to come follow me, you know, come follow me, but that's the lot that you have. Uh, so it was a unique time. Now, on this last verse, verse 27, of, not the last verse, but verse 27, he said, but I say to you truthfully, there are some of these standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, briefly, as we've talked about it recently, the kingdom of God is what fully going to come when Jesus comes back after the tribulation, to set up his millennial reign. And then he is going to rule and reign as a king over the land. It's going to be a glorious time in history where Jesus is coming back to earth. That's the fullness of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God now is to live for Jesus spiritually now. And my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're supposed to try to bring kingdom living to earth now spiritually, although this won't be the fullness of the kingdom, it'll be a spiritual kingdom, but one day it's going to be a physical kingdom when he returns. So when he says that they will see the kingdom of God, it it doesn't mean that they will see right now the physical kingdom of God. It may mean that they see an extension of the spiritual kingdom of God that exists right now. it very well may be that what Jesus is referring to is what happens next. So, but I say to you truthfully, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And then what happens next? And we don't know for sure, church, if, if Jesus was referring to this, or maybe he was referring to his resurrection where he'd come back and, and reveal himself. Or maybe he was referring to the fact that in the church age, The Holy Spirit's going to come and live inside of us, and we're going to live for the spiritual kingdom now. So what exactly he means, we don't know. But the very next thing could be it, and it's called the transfiguration. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James. Remember the inner circle of three? So we saw him when he went into the house uh, to heal that girl who had died, and now we're seeing it again. He took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray beautiful and while he was praying the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming and behold two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah so he's literally seen a kingdom heavenly scene they are Moses and Elijah who are appearing in glory were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they're even beginning to speak about his death and resurrection. Now, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You remember how God spoke at the baptism of Jesus as well? Imagine hearing this. You know, God is really desiring that the apostles would follow Jesus wholeheartedly, especially after his death and resurrection, so that they could carry on in proclaiming his message of the kingdom and the gospel to the world, even amidst persecution and even amidst martyrdom. And at times God like spoke up audibly because they could never deny what they heard and what they saw up on this mountain. And all these things would strengthen the apostles To live with him all the way to their death. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So there you know, it came from heaven. There was no one there now, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. So this was like a beautiful secret that became revealed later about this time on the mountain. And I always marvel at these ne- this next statement, it says on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain. Now imagine that, like, this is one of those little pictures that, that I see is that like, so they had this transfiguration with Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And then the next day they came down on the mountain. Like, what do you think Jesus, James, John, and Peter talked about then? you know, like they had a whole like night and the next morning and woke up and you know, I don't know what they did for breakfast or whatever, but then they come down the mountain, which, you know, you're coming down a mountain, that's going to take a while. And just the intimate times that they had with Jesus, really amazing. So when he comes down, a large crowd met him, and a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I beg your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground, the boy that is, and threw him into convulsion but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. I love that. The greatness of God or the majesty of God. Here they're seeing more and more and more of what God can do through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. I, I, may, may the verse for 43 all be true of all of us. And they were all amazed at the... Greatness or the majesty of God. Oh God, may we see you high and lifted up. May we be in awe of you. May we revere you and your word. But while everyone was marveling at all he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's again predicting his death, but they did not understand this statement and it was concealed from them. So it's interesting. It's it's as though God allowed it to be concealed from them or, or they just, I don't know, couldn't get it. It was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, for they were afraid to ask him about this statement. They didn't want to ask a clarifying question. Very interesting. And an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Oh, <laughs> well, the uh, pride of man and the selfishness of man and, you know. Jesus gets us because, uh, you know, his disciples struggled with all this humanness as well. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this Is the one who is great. So he's teaching them humility. He's teaching them that not to seek greatness, but to be humble and just seek him uh, and come to him like a little child. And they shouldn't be looking to be great, they should just see his greatness and live to serve God's kingdom. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Well, that's interesting. You know, and ugh, there's so many passages to consider as it relates to this, but sometimes we can be so focused on what someone else is doing and um I tend not to do that, actually. I tend to, 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 you know, it's my job to serve him. Kind of what I mean about that is, like, we could be focused on what other preachers are doing, what other churches are doing, what other heirs are out there, and we can sometimes focus on all of that, and it's like, you know what? Go, go lead someone to Christ. Go proclaim the gospel. Go develop your own relationship with Christ. Sometimes I just don't want to take the time to stop and look at what every other preacher or church or what everyone else is doing, but May we serve him now, I say that and and there is a time that we do need to be concerned with who is leading the people of the world because uh we are supposed to challenge false teaching, so it's you know it's a it's a it's a difficult thing to discern, but in this case, perhaps this guy was doing things rightly uh he was casting out demons, and perhaps you know Jesus knew that the guy was. Don't worry about it. He's not doing anything wrong. He's you know, so listen, don't hinder him. He's not against you, he's not causing problems. Go do go do your thing. Now, if it was a false prophet, uh, if it was a, a false divination or something like that, Jesus may have responded differently to it. When the days were approaching of it for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Again, he's he's setting his sights for Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to be killed. And he sent messengers ahead of him and he went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Now the Samaritans were a different um, faith of the Jewish faith and Jesus was not in agreement with them. They didn't believe in a resurrection. Uh, He was also not in agreement with the Pharisees, but he is in agreement with the Pharisees in regards to a resurrection. And, the Pharisees looked really, really down on the Samaritans. And Jesus had more of a heart for, for you know anyone who wanted to hear what he had to say. Uh, so he entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. And they had a different place of worship than the, the Jews did that was, or excuse me, the Pharisees, so they had a difference about what was the primary place of worship. Uh, Pharisees uh, believed Jerusalem, the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim, I believe it was called, but he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, saw that the Samaritans did not receive him well, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That you might have heard James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. Those were his, those were, uh, they're brothers of each other, James and John. They're known as the sons of thunder. You want us to call man, fire to come down from heaven and consume them. And uh, yeah, so Jesus is like, but he turned and rebuked them. Now, the next part of this verse is in parentheses and is not in, some of the original manuscripts, but I'll read it. It says, but he turned and rebuked them. That's for sure. He rebuked them for what they said and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So it's questionable as to whether those are really the authentic words of Jesus in that parenthesis, but he, he did definitely rebuke them for saying that. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And this is what I was referring to yesterday. And Jesus said, or excuse me, earlier in this message. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, the person did permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So those are some of the radical statements that I think have a little bit of a different context. Now, the ultimate thing is, listen, if you commit to a life of Jesus, don't look back. You know, continue to follow him. Um, now, today, though, like if your family died, uh, I think, you know, hey, it's, it's okay to bury your family and, and take care of your, your family. Uh, but in that day, listen, they may never find Jesus again, they may never be able to follow him. There was an urgency, a very short period of time. And in fact, he's already heading to Jerusalem. He's sending his sights. So we're we're getting nearer and nearer the time when Jesus is going to go to the cross. And you either had to follow him then or you wouldn't have an opportunity to. So some of those radical statements, I think, are because of the nature of the timing. And there was only one way to follow Jesus in that day. And that was to literally Be in his midst, but it changed after the cross, as I mentioned. Yet the principles I think are still there to teach us that. Listen, once we've said I'm a follower of Jesus, may we never go back, and may we follow him all the way to our dying day. Um, There is a cost of discipleship. It it is a it is a, a a commit. It takes a commitment, and. Once you make that commitment to follow Jesus, stick with him all the way to the end. Hallelujah. He is worthy. Have you ever seen anyone else do the miracles that we've seen even just in this one chapter? I haven't. He is worthy of our followership. And let's keep following him always. And I look forward to seeing you again when we get to Luke chapter 10. God bless you all.